Ready as we get it going here on a Tuesday afternoon, along with the aforementioned Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Good to have you back. 600 ESPN El Paso. Is today really National Pancake Day? Is it? I mean, that's what I just got a notification of. Let me see. Uh, yeah. Today is National Pancake Day. It's good to know. Nice. That's great. I love pancakes. That's awesome, Steve. Had I had we not had a sales meeting this morning, I would have gotten up a little earlier and made myself some pancakes. Because I do like a good pancake in the morning. Are you a uh, pancake that uh, fan that likes to put um, uh, syrup on it? Or do you like, uh, have you ever tried making a pancake with some honey instead of Interesting. syrup? I've never done that. I've never substituted that. I've, uh, In fact, we have not made pancakes recently because we're out of syrup. So, uh, yeah, that's one of the things we got to get on the shopping list. Pancake with honey is amazing. Amazing. And if you drop some, blue, some fresh blueberries into the batter, nice. so you make some blueberry pancakes. Because, I mean, that's the thing. You can go regular, you can go banana, blueberry, strawberry, chocolate chip, whatever you want. Pancakes, I mean, put whatever you want in there. Right. I love the honey option, though. I got to try that. I, so and now good. you got me thinking on this, Steve. This sounds great. Have you had those uh, those Kodiak cakes they sell? It's like the, the, the mix you can add just water to. Oh, yes, yes. So that's what we do. We do the Kodiak, add, um, add some. I, I like the blueberries myself. That's my big thing. I like to put the blueberries, fresh blueberries, um, frozen if we have no fresh blueberries, right in the batter. And then as that thing cooks, it's, uh, it, it's perfect. Instant uh, delicious pancakes. I didn't even realize it was pancake day today. Happy National Pancake Day, everybody. Good to have you with us. And if you're a Rangers fan, ah, today's the day, man. Patrick Kane is finally a Ranger, and it couldn't have come at a better time. They've dropped like three in a row. Uh, They play Philly tomorrow night, and hopefully Kane will be in uniform for the Blue Shirts, who are going to need a big performance in the worst way possible to snap this losing streak. So big time uh, get by the Rangers going and getting themselves Patrick Kane. Yeah, this is huge, Steve. Um, we've seen hockey really heat up over the past couple weeks. This is the final stretch right here, uh, and the Rangers are uh, making this move right here with the condition. If they make the Eastern Conference Finals, which, uh, you know, rightfully so, this uh, pick, I mean, that they sent off to Chicago would end up being a first-rounder instead of a second. So kind That's of interesting true. right there in, in terms of the provisions. Yeah, um, listen, they needed them, um, and they, they didn't give up nearly as much as they were supposed to in the past, so it's okay. It's a trade that uh, again, you know, Rangers need to make a play for the postseason, and this will be their uh, this will be their big move. So I'm all right with that one. Uh, meanwhile, how about the story today? If you saw this either, the big story that um, Green Bay's general manager Brian Gutenkunst said that uh, apparently, um, you know, they're ready for the Jordan Love era to start. I mean, based on his comments today, it sounds like there is no way Aaron Rodgers is coming back at Green Bay Packer. You know, I found uh, his comments very revealing today, Steve. In fact, I would be curious if we see him, uh, Aaron, being Aaron Rodgers, traded ahead of free agency. Because he also talked about how it's still uh, murky when it comes to the details of talking to Aaron Rodgers about his future in Green Bay. So at some point, if you're the front office and you're not getting clarification from your star quarterback on whether or not he would want to return next year 
and knowing that he's kind of declining right now, even though he won back to back MVPs, uh, you know, in, in the last three years, two of the last three years, you got to look at Aaron Rodgers as an asset right now, maybe sell high on the trade market and then roll with Jordan Love, the guy you drafted in the first round just a few years ago. Listen, I'm with you. And when your GM says on record, quote, he's a great player, but until we have those conversations, I think all options are on the table right now. But we really need to have those conversations. We want what's best for the Green Bay Packers, what's best for Aaron. So we'll get to that once these conversations happen. I mean, that's, you know, and all he said is that they've had a few general text exchanges, and that's it. Now, he's under he's under contract, right? He's their starting quarterback. He's under contract. Normally, that's enough. But as we all know, Aaron Rodgers has plenty of diva in him and plenty of weirdness in him at the same time. He's a weird diva. He's not just a diva, but he's a little weird. I mean, he is. Yeah, he really is. Uh, he's somebody also, Steve, who I'm expecting him to detail what ended up happening on this darkness retreat, which, by the way, he didn't complete the full duration of it. He hopped out of it uh, a little early, so early exit for this. Don't blame him. I couldn't do it myself. Uh, and for Aaron Rodgers, hopefully he found some clarity, Steve. Hopefully there there's a team out there that he'd be cool with if the Packers decided to move on from. And if he's ready to retire, retire then. And say it now. So the Packers can move on here as free agency approaches in just a few weeks. Yep, I agree with you. But um, apparently, uh, Gutenkunst did say that Jordan Love is absolutely ready to be the starting quarterback for the Packers in the NFL. So he's already endorsed Jordan Love. It's time. Look, you drafted him to be your starter. He's spent uh, the last, what, three seasons now under Aaron Rodgers. Let's, uh, let, let's, let's get this going. Let's, it's the same thing with Rodgers and Favre. You know, he That's spent right. all that time as, as Favre's understudy, and then they finally let Rodgers loose, and look what he did. Hey, you, you got to find out now if Jordan Love's going to be your guy. So I'm, I'm, I think that the Packers, you know, what's going to happen is they're going to trade Rodgers or Rodgers is going to retire. And I don't see Rodgers retiring. I think he gets dealt. The only question is where are you going to trade him to? That's right, and I feel like what. Also, my my other question is, what's the value for Aaron Rodgers? Do you get a first rounder or two? Do you get a couple uh, different draft picks? Do you get a player in return and maybe get a veteran quarterback to come in return uh, in exchange in that deal as well? I'm curious to see what the haul is for Aaron Rodgers. Look at the haul that uh, the Seahawks got for trading Russell Wilson last off season, and I would. I mean, look, Aaron Rodgers is where where he is right now, but I'd still consider him a better quarterback than Russell Wilson. He's almost forty. That's so right. Yeah, I know. Years old. Like, I mean, how much can you trade for a forty-year-old quarterback? That's a good point. And with Russell Wilson, there was still that uh, everybody thought that he'd be fine and he would be just you know going right back to form and where he was uh, before. But he actually took a a big dive, and I don't think a lot of people saw that. So that's definitely fair. Mm, I'm with you. All right. Hey, by the way, um, you know we got a lot to cover on the show today. Five o'clock hour is going to be huge. Um, there is a monster race card going right now at Sunland Park Racetrack from Sunday's canceled race day. They got like the four biggest stakes races from Sunday that are going to be run as we speak right now. In fact, the Albert and Henry Dominguez Memorial Handicap, the Red Heatman Mile, the Island Fashion Stakes, and the Mind That Bird Derby are all going to be run during Sports Talk today. So Track Talk will feature Dustin Dix, the Director of Racing Operations, for Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino. That'll come up at 5 o'clock. Following that, we've got none other than Tim Haggerty. Hags is going to join us. 
And the reason Hags is going to be popping into our studio is not just to give us a preview of uh, the, uh, you know, 2023 Chihuahuas roster, but also Tim Haggerty is uh, the author of a brand new book. And I'm so excited for him. It's called Tales from the Dugout, a thousand and one humorous, inspirational and wild anecdotes from minor league baseball. And it will be released a month from now, March the 28th. So cool that four weeks from today, Hags will uh, have his first book. Steve, I'm so fired up for this. Uh, I heard a rumor that ha- Tim Haggerty might actually bring a copy with him today on the show, which uh, that's a rarity in itself, which I'm very excited about. And I also, uh, with when it comes to Tim Haggerty in this book, it's great that he's incorporated a little bit of story time with Hags and a little bit of uh, Hags hypotheticals possibly throughout this book. I, we've heard some of these stories that he, re- he wrote about here on Sports Talk, and I'm just so fascinated by all the different stories that we haven't heard about throughout this book book man oh man uh this could be like the greatest uh segments ever in yes. sports talk history i'm so excited so tim's gonna join us because you're right um you know we've had haggerty uh parodies on twitter remember yes, that yes yes uh cody decker right well, <laughs> or so, or maybe allegedly cody never assumed full responsibility for uh the the haggerty parody account on twitter so, That's right, yeah. I've heard rumors it's somebody else. Oh, okay. I like that. Well, uh, either way, I love the parody. I love the Burner account. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved his uh, Hags hypotheticals uh, and his Hags hot takes as well. At Inform Hag Tweets, uh, by the oh, way. Wow, okay. I am one of his um, 53 followers on Twitter, along with uh, 600 ESPN El Paso. Chad uh, Middlefingerton is also following uh, at Inform Hag Tweets. And so is uh, Terry Decker, Cody's, uh, you know, uh, Cody's mom. Nice. It's nice. Uh, By the way, the last ever tweet from informative, uh, informative Haggerty is this. This was from uh, June of 2015. So um, almost eight years ago. It is customary for leadoff hitters to inform the catcher if they intend to swing at the first pitch. Hashtag informative Haggerty tweets. Oh man, that is that is so funny. Yes. Anyway, I'm so happy that that's out there. I got to start following this. By the way, Hags himself put this beauty out back in uh, February of 2016. People often use the phrase "tweeted it out." Seems redundant. All tweets go out. That was actually a Hag tweet himself. Oh. That wasn't even informative Haggerty, but informative Hag tweets did retweet. Tim Haggerty on that. Okay, so, so we'll bring we'll bring up uh, informative uh, Hag tweets, inform Hag tweets of uh, to, to Tim when he joins us back in our uh, studios here today. Okay, I'm really excited about all this. This is going to be an excellent segment. Uh, it's always first off, it's always great to talk to Hags around this time, and now the fact that we get to promote his book, uh, a good friend of us, a uh, friend of ours here on this show. Uh, this is going to be an absolute treat. I can't wait. So tales from the dugout. Uh, you have to pre-order that book now, by the way, folks. Pre-order it now. Sixteen ninety five on paperback. We also got to find out when the autograph signing will be. We want to know when Tim's going to be signing copies of this for fans. After all, if opening night is March thirty first, don't you think that Hags has to have like a um, a book signing during a home game 
where somebody can then fill in for him as uh, as play-by-play announcer while he signs copies of his new book. Mm, okay, I, I like this idea, Steve. I think this would be uh, very and and I like we talked about it before. If when he travels, when he goes off yes. to these other ballparks, we could we could help set these up. You know, whether it's at a, a franchise bookstore out there, or if it's a local bookstore, something like that. People, baseball fans who are getting ready to go to one of these games, it could head over there around lunchtime. Uh, we should pitch these ideas to Hags and ask him if he has an agent. And if not, maybe we can uh, just uh, work with him on something like this. How about this? Uh, Cider Mill Press is handling the uh, publishing. For this book, three hundred and twenty pages. That's a lot of. That's a lot of Haggerty in this yes. book. Yes, yes, I'm all in for it. This is great, Steve. I'm I'm ready. And Tibbs already told us like he's been working on this project for like the last ten years. That's right. Yeah, he's he's worked on this. This is something that he has worked on. I, I feel like it's kind of been a running thing. Like as soon as he gets another story, he probably jots it down, and now we get the whole compilation here with this uh, this book. Yep, I'm excited about it. So that's uh, going to be happening in our 5 o'clock hour right after Track Talk on the show today. So as you might imagine, a lot in store. lot in store. Our phone number, 505-6009. That is 505-6009 as we continue here on Sports Talk. We've got the big Chapin Parkland game. Adrian's got the preview up on the website at 600ESPNElPaso.com. Also, serious question. What is your favorite type of pancake on National Pancake Day? What is your favorite type of pancake? Chris Carpenter, at Chris Carp 22 tweeted us about 10 minutes ago, pancakes with peanut butter are yummy. How about that? Good stuff, Chris. I like pancakes it. Pancakes with peanut butter. What are your favorite types of pancakes on National Pancake Day? Let's hear from you as we go to Charlie One. We'll find out what his favorite type of pancake is as he gets us started with our first traffic update of the afternoon. All right, 21 past the hour. Back on the show. Sports Talk continues. 505-6009, that's our telephone number. 505-6009. Question is... It's National Pancake Day. What are your favorite type of pancakes? Butch texts into the program. My favorite pancakes are waffles. So there you go. Now, that's like saying, is a hot dog a sandwich? Favorite pancakes are waffles. What do you think, Adrian? Well, uh, pa- uh, waffles are kind of like pancakes, but just with like abs, right? Isn't that the thing? I mean, same ingredients. They are the same ingredients. In fact, pancake mix goes into a waffle maker, and you've got ridges, and then you've got a timer, and then you flip the thing over, and then it comes out perfectly. So technically, waffles are a type of pancake. It still uses the same batter, it's just made a little differently and comes out formed. Perfectly, yeah. If you're getting, I like uh, Butch. Butch, Butch is taking this to a different level with the waffle pancake uh, tweet. Yeah, good stuff, Butch. Uh, I would say this when it comes to the waffles that they get a little uh, sugary when it, when you do the frozen ones. So if you're just doing the batter ones, pretty much the same thing as pancakes. All I know is this: when I go to a hotel and it's got a breakfast uh, to order, 
Ch- chances are, I don't always get pancakes made fresh. But I guarantee you this, there's a waffle maker there, there's batter, and there's magic. Because once that waffle is ready, you could put anything on it. Anything. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I would also say with that, it, it gets even better when it's like the Texas-shaped waffle, and you get to do that, and you throw that in the, the hotel. Where do you find the Texas-shaped waffle? You've never seen those? No. You haven't, really? No. I've seen, I've seen those a couple. Different. I saw really? one one uh, place that we went to in San Antonio. I mean, it's just the same type of waffle maker. Yeah, but there's it's the just shape te- of Texas. Exactly. Shape really? of Texas. That's right. Wow, I didn't know that. Uh, that's a thing. That's cool. Hang on, Texas Waffle Maker. Let me uh, throw that on Amazon. Oh, okay. $53 if I want one. Okay. Texas Independence Day coming right around the corner. Maybe there you that's go. how you can celebrate. All right. By the way, the one thing I will say about getting waffles made, I do love it when they come out a little extra crispy. That's my thing. I like I like the little extra crispy. So Yeah, I can't have them too soft, and then they get soggy and all that kind of stuff. Nope. So, yeah, I, you know what, Steve? My favorite pancakes are the offensive lineman type of pancakes, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, running backs, you, you watch them. They always get the credit. Quarterbacks get the credit. What about the offensive lineman pancakes? I'll, I'll take it a different spin. You had to go sports, right? Yes. Um, okay, here we go. This is from our pal um, and, and co-worker of ours because – you know, whenever we get Jason Craig on Twitter, I'm excited. And he tweeted the show a little while ago. My son says chocolate chip. I say blueberry. I'm with I'm with Jason. Choc- There's nothing wrong with chocolate chip pancakes, by the way. My son probably would take chocolate chip, too. Yeah. But I love, I'm a sucker for blueberry pancakes. Just am. Uh, I'm a sucker for chocolate chip. So, uh, Jalen, if you're listening, yeah, I'm going with chocolate chip pancakes for sure. All right. Jalen's got a Jalen's got a supporter. And so does Jason, for that matter. We each do. We're split. This is from Adolfo at BravesFan1313. Pancakes plus Nutella. Absolutely awesome. Add bananas, and it's heavenly. How about that? That is very creative. Uh you know, for me, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, having Nutella at the house is tough just knowing how good it is. And it's like, I, I, it's so thick at times. I don't want to have it all the time. And uh, yeah, I, I would say that whenever I have Nutella in the house, it is uh, out of the house pretty quickly. So uh, I'm sure it is. And that's just what happens. That's that's the magic of Nutella, right? Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. What's that like Nutella ripoff that that they sell at yeah. Walmart for like a buck and a half? And that that little uh, it looks like an egg pouch with a little thing on there. What is that called? Um, I I don't know off the top of my head. I know exactly what you're talking about. So Joel tried to argue his case with me um, at uh, the supermarket last week that I needed to buy that for him, even though he said that um, my wife would not approve. So I said, well, if she's not going to approve. Why do why do you think I'm going to approve? Just because what am I a softy? So um, I said no. So we settled on a uh, a Hershey's uh, bar with almonds. Okay, that was, his, that was his thing, and he was upset because he said that they lied on the be- on the on the uh, wrapper that there were supposed to be more almonds than what he got in his chocolate bar. So he felt like it was false advertising. Oh man! So he he went over two in that situation. Wasn't good for him. But I forget what that thing is called. There is a there is a name. Yes. For that chocolate, because it comes with like some kind of like cookie stick that you dip the chocolate into, and I, yeah. I forget. It's 
It's like perfect for uh, the people to take to lunch. It's like a snack size one. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. It's like a to go, like a Nutella to go type of thing. That's right. That's right. Got shot down, but that's exactly right. Okay, so if you want to weigh in on the uh, really big sports topics today, like favorite type of pancake and um, you know National Pancake Day, we'd love to hear your input. And uh, tell us also what's going to happen with the Green Bay Packers. So, you know, I think that for the Packers, they're done with Aaron Rodgers. And it's interesting. Don't you feel like today management took a different side? They didn't exactly throw Rodgers under the bus, but they kind of did. Kind of said that he's, you know, he's been holding us hostage for years. They're 8-9 and nine last year. Jordan Love is ready to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. What more do you need? Now, the best would be if Rodgers says, I'm coming back. Right. It would be awesome, wouldn't it? Like, he's under contract. So technically, he could announce tomorrow, I'm staying with the Packers next year. And that just totally puts management behind the eight ball and makes things really, really uncomfortable. You know, another thing he could do is if the management turns around and says, "Okay, well, we're going to trade Aaron Rodgers," he could say, "Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play if I go to the wrong team or a team that I don't agree with. So you're going to have to work with me on a trade, or I, I'm just going to stay here if I don't find that trade to be, you know, uh, suitable to what I want." So I mean, Aaron Rodgers is in a situation where he is because of his on the field play. Like he is blessed to be in this situation because he's been so good at the sport of football mm-hmm. that uh, he basically has uh, the the upper management tied around his finger and and they will adhere to most everything that he says but at the same time with that comes the drama and the aftermath that uh, that um you know is associated with aaron Rodgers. it's a good point it's a good point approaching the bottom of the hour as we continue here on sports talk you want to weigh in 505-6009 505-6009 you can also uh check in with us on twitter at 600 espn el paso Text into the program as well, or uh, message us on our mobile app, powered by First American Bank. Those are the ways to get right on in and through to the program. And looking forward to seeing uh, what everybody has to say on the Rogers situation, what happens with uh, Aaron Rodgers, the pancakes on National Pancake Day. Now I'm thinking I'm going home, and for dinner... I'm going to eat pancakes. Mm, okay. All right. Is that, is that is that bad? That's not bad. I'm a I'm a firm proponent in breakfast for dinner. Uh, and I feel like whether it's eggs, whether it's uh, cereal, chefing it up with some late night cereal, or mm-hmm. uh, having some pancakes late at night, why not? I, I'm I am all on board for late night breakfast or you know regular dinner breakfast. Uh, breakfast for dinner. Don't you feel though that if you didn't eat pancakes and it's National Pancake Day, you're doing yourself a disservice by at least not enjoying some good pancakes on a on a holiday that is specific, a BS holiday, by the way. These these national days, let's be honest, it's all a crock. It's you know what it is. It's just to give attention to everything you want. But that being said, let's let's just put all that away. You know, if it's national something day, we got to do it, right? Yes, we. Uh, I'm. I'm all about adhering to these uh, national days if it if it makes sense. And we got some of the listeners involved too, so it's motivating me here, Steve, to do it myself. I I might have to join you in this. Um, all I know is that uh, when it's 
National Chillerieno Day, sign me up. That's when I that's when I get really really excited. Okay, All yes, right. yeah, the chile relleno. Yeah, yes. I, we need a definite uh chile re- relleno burrito or something like that. Uh chile rellenos are so good. So so good. Thank you. And thank you for pronouncing it right so Esteban won't uh, rip me on Twitter today. I appreciate that as well. Good job as always. All right, bottom of the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Let's get right back to uh, the aforementioned Adrian Brada standing by with this bottom of the hour. Sports Center update. Ten seed. But by the way, nobody else from Conference USA is in or even close to being on the bubble. That I also found pretty interesting. You did? Yeah, I was wondering if there'd be a team that would at least be within the next like eight on the bubble, but nothing. Nothing. I'm so, not surprised. Well, here's the thing I'm gonna ask you, okay? So let's just say we go to the NCAA net rankings for college basketball. The latest net rankings for college basketball. Currently, as we speak, Florida Atlantic is 19. And that's really good. That means that if they get upset in the Conference USA tournament, most likely they're getting in as an at-large. Wouldn't you say if they're in the top 20 and they get knocked off they're an at-large team, or could you still see them getting screwed over? I could see them still getting screwed over. It's Conference USA. It's not a reputable league. Uh, Florida Atlantic has done everything to put themselves in a position to get to the to the NCAA tournament. If they do not win CUSA, I don't think they go. It's, mm. it's more about the league itself than it is well, Florida Atlantic, unfortunately. Let me tell you why, I'm, I, 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 why I hate college basketball. Because this year, UAB is 57 and North Texas is 50. You've got three teams in the top 60, and you're telling me that CUSA is still a one-bid league? That's why I'm saying, Adrian, it would be nice if right now, you know, we had a team like North Texas, at least, maybe not on the last four out, or the first four out, but the next four out. And I was looking at that, like, Utah State is currently on the next four out. So I was kind of interested to see where is Utah State in the Mountain West pecking order. They're 30th, okay? And that's next. That's not even the first four out. That's the next four out. So if they're 30th and they're out, I got news for you. <laughs> Florida Atlantic could be 19 in their net rankings all they want. If they lose in the tournament, that could be the end of their season, period. Because I feel like the NCAA will never make CUSA a multiple-bid league, no matter how good these teams are. No, they won't. It's unfor- It's really unfortunate. It, that's what it is. Uh, I feel like Conference USA has to have consistent winners year after year in order for them. But even then, Steve, I mean, Conference USA has shown that teams uh, get out of that first round, um, you know, out of the league. They get out of that first round matchup in the NCAA tournament on the winning side from CUSA more yeah. times than not, especially as of late. And that still hasn't impacted more than one team going from Conference USA. Uh, the NCAA will still look at other mid-major conferences like the West Coast Conference, the American Athletic, and the Mountain West before they look to Conference USA to add uh, two, bid, two bids out of a mid-major. Here's the problem with UAB. They're 1-3 against Quad 1, and they're 0-3 against Quad 2. Okay, North Texas, 1-3 against Quad 1, 
two and one against quad two. And if you're wondering what is quad one, what does that even mean? Hey, that's a, that's a, a good question. What they do is they take the quality of schools you play and they put them into four quads. And the top the top teams, the upper echelon teams are quad one, and then you go two, three, and four. And it's interesting to me how you know the rankings um, show you that. So, for example, when it comes to Florida Atlantic, Florida Atlantic this season, you know, as uh, they're playing, they're two and one against quad one, three and two against quad two. That's that's solid. That is, they've built a great resume. That that would make me think that there is a really good case for them to actually get into the NCAA tournament, even if they don't win the CUSA tournament. For UAB, North Texas, they must win the tournament in order to actually get, obviously, to the NCAA and play in March Madness. But for FAU, I, I still don't know. If you lose in the championship round to the likes of a UAB, does FAU still get in? I, I, I don't think so. My answer yeah. is no right now. By the way, in case you're wondering, Liberty is 40th in the net rankings. They're coming next year, by the way. That's why I bring up Liberty. They're on their way in from the A-Sun. And that's always nice to have a school that's going to come in with that kind of ranking to uh, Conference USA, which tells you this, okay? So you're losing six schools, right? Yeah, you're losing UAB and you're losing North Texas. But you're also losing schools like Charlotte, um, you're losing schools like um, who else are we talking about? Wait, Charlotte, um, you know, North Texas. Oh, you're losing Rice. You're losing um, who else? Do we? Uh, who else is? Who else am I missing? So six all, schools North altogether. Texas as well, right? Um, and, and then did you? Uh, let, let's check out Conference USA because I did, I did Charlotte, I did North Texas, I did UAB, I did Rice. There's two others. They're also losing. Uh, I'm blanking here. I, I'm told. I don't know why I'm blanking on this right here. Oh, UTSA. Uh, that's yes, the that's fifth right. school, and then the sixth would be. Hmm. So F F A U right North Texas two. Uh, you have U A B three. UTSA is four. UTSA Rice is, four. is five. Charlotte and Charlotte. Okay, that's right. That, that's it, right? That's it. That's that's the six. Right. Charlotte, Rice, UTSA, North Texas, uh, UAB, uh, and and UTSA. I think that's right. So I might have said UTSA twice, but yeah, that's it. So, But you're gaining New Mexico State, Liberty, Sam Houston State, and Jacksonville State, right? That's right. That's exactly correct there. Uh, and and we, uh, just real Sam quick. Sam Houston, by the way, 62 in the WAC. So you're getting you're you're gaining forty, you're gaining sixty two. Uh, we all know New Mexico State is 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 awful this year, and, and they've canceled the program, so that really doesn't count. I have no idea what, what even what number they are this year. And Jacksonville State's net ranking will probably be uh, the lowest uh, behind New Mexico State. I have to search for Jacksonville State, but uh, you're gaining two uh, you know two top sixty net teams. That's that's pretty good. New Mexico State is 186, even though their season's over, and they're still ahead of UTEP. UTEP is 194, and uh, Jacksonville State would be, oh, they're uh, 235. 
Right, they've struggled this year in the A Sun, thirteen and eighteen, six and twelve in conference play. But they were actually an NCAA tournament team last year, going twenty-one and eleven and thirteen and three in their conference. So they are, they have won uh, conference titles as of late, having won one also back in twenty seventeen. So yeah, that's that's actually pretty good right there. Adrian at Enemy Win the number three just tweeted the show, Steve. If Florida Atlantic is 19th, technically they should be a five seed. Yeah, good point. That never happens. Never happens whatsoever. They'll give the nod to Big 12 teams. They'll give the nod to the Big 10 teams and then probably the Big East teams uh, before they even think about doing uh, that for a conference USA. I'll bid. be shocked if they're, a, they're, if they're a 10 seed, wouldn't you? Yeah, I feel like uh, a, it's that classic 12 5. It's a 12-5 to me. Yep, to it me feels, too. It feels like that. And it's like a UConn again versus exactly. somebody like Florida Atlantic. And that's unfair. It's not right because Florida Atlantic has played great all year. They've been ranked uh, for several different, uh, you know, for, for different weeks. But if they don't handily win CUSA, yeah, I could definitely see them 10, 11, or 12. Track talk with Dustin Dix filling in for Eric Alwyn this week, 20 minutes away. We'll do that right after we say hello to ABC7 News and get this news update. Track talk coming up here, top of the 5 o'clock hour. Then the great Tim Haggerty will join us. Excited about that. Also excited about uh, getting an update on Adrian's brand new water system, courtesy of Clean Water of El Paso. First, I had a chance to experience what this would be like for me, and now Adrian's getting a chance to enjoy it as well. All right, you're about a month or so into this uh, this brand new water system. What's it been like for you? Yeah, it's been excellent, Steve. I mean, uh, first off, from the free water analysis to their easy installation to uh, everything that I've experienced with Clean Water Bell Passes so far, I've loved it. And uh, I'll tell you one thing that I've really appreciated. Uh, the fact that, you know, I've, I've dealt with in my past some skin issues on my side, whether it was acne or most recently eczema and stuff like that and uh, clean water of El Paso has really helped me out when it comes to eczema on on my body I've had some you know like on my shoulder on the inside there and by showering with clean water of El Paso's all-in-one system I've noticed that the eczema has disappeared uh, you know just uh, off my skin so I really appreciate that I appreciate how easy they are to work with and if you want to get a free water analysis today and see how you could uh, uh, shift over and work with the great people at Clean Water of El Paso. All you have to do is just go online, cleanwaterofelpaso.com, fill out their easy form, or give them a call, 915-856-0059. That's 915-856-0059 for Clean Water of El Paso. Terrific stuff as we keep things moving here on the program right now. Uh, once again, I like this story. Uh, rumors of T. Higgins being traded by the Bengals, not going to happen. In fact, how about uh, Duke to- uh, Duke Tobin, the executive uh, from the Bengals, who said, "quote um, If they want to find a receiver, meaning um, you know other teams, go find your own." I like that. I like that. In my opinion, T. Higgins is a good piece for the Cincinnati Bengals. The trade stuff is a little ridiculous right now. 
very interesting knowing that they have to pay T. Higgins. And it's uh, a very boastful thing by their front office to be saying this kind of stuff when they have to work out a long-term deal. Uh, the Bengals, everything is fine right now in Cincy. I mean, things are good. But when they have to look toward big paydays for Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins in this case, well, it will take some different uh, maneuvering by mm-hmm. the front office. And they might have to take a step back in defense where they've excelled over the past couple years, especially in the run to the Super Bowl. Truthfully, um, it's a lot more expensive to pay a top-flight receiver than it is a running back. And that's why, you know, you can pay Joe Mixon, but you're going to have a hard time with uh, T. Higgins and also, um, you know, the others you talked about. That's that's the truth. You've got Joe Burrow. You've got Jamar Chase. Um, that's, you know, that's a lot of star talent right there on the offensive side of the ball. And you, and you start to think about it. What teams have two great receivers making big bucks and a quarterback making big bucks? See, the, the Chiefs are a great example. They traded away Tyreek Hill because he got too expensive with Patrick Mahomes and everything they had to work with. And they were smart. What did they do? They brought in vets. Vets like Marquez Valdez Scantling, and also uh, brought in um, a guy like Juju Smith Schuster. Hey, they're not superstars, but they're quality former number one receivers on their respective teams, or not number two in the case of uh, MVS. He was always number two behind Devontae Adams, but that that that, that works. That and now you've got a young guy as well. They got a, a rookie in Sky Moore. Hey, that's the way to do it. I don't know of any team that has two number one type receivers and a top flight quarterback on the roster that that are all getting paid appropriately. No, I would say that it ha- one of those guys out of those three has to be a rookie or under a rookie contract. I'll, I'll give a couple examples. Miami, they have Tua under that rookie deal right now. They have Jalen Waddle under that rookie deal, and they're paying big bucks to Tyreek Hill. That's uh, two top number one receivers right there, and you know, a good quarterback. I'd say he's in the upper 15 uh, of the quarterbacks in the NFL. You look at the Seattle Seahawks a few years ago. They had Tyler Lockett under contract. They paid big bucks to Russell Wilson, but they had DK Metcalf on a rookie deal. They didn't have to pay him big dollars uh, over there in Seattle. So it always feels like these teams who have that standout number one receiver, they have to complement him with another standout rookie or a younger guy like the Eagles. Jalen Hurts, they have him under his rookie deal. They have Devontae Smith on his rookie deal, but they pay big bucks for A.J. Brown. They do. And by the way, um, you look at what T. Higgins has done. I mean, he's never had double-digit touchdowns in the season, but six his rookie year, six in 21, and seven last year. But he's been a 1,000-yard receiver in his last two, and he might not be a true number one, but you want to know something? He's a terrific number two, could be a number one if something ever happens to Jamar Chase injury-wise. You know, you probably could get a haul in return for a guy like T. Higgins. Yeah, I look at the Cowboys receiving core just to compare the two. I, I mean, I would say that C.D. Lamb, a number one slot receiver in the league for sure, uh, but he's not necessarily that ca- that deep threat down the field. Um, you know, get go up and get it receiver like maybe Amari Cooper was. But I would not think that Michael Gallup is a suitable number two uh, to C.D. Lamb compared to T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. What a dynamic one-two punch that is right there such a good point all right we'll talk more football later in the show up next though we've got um a a fun next hour or so track talk with special guest uh this week dustin dix director of racing operations from sunland park racetrack and casino after that 
Tim Haggerty. He's got a brand new book that's coming out one month from today. We'll do it next right here, 600 ESPN El Paso. Welcome back to another big week of track talk. Steve Kaplowitz with you. And uh, I know normally we have the opportunity to talk to uh, Eric Alwyn, the voice of Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino. But this week, going to be a little different. What a treat we have for you today. That's right. We've got uh, the man himself, Dustin Dix, who heads up Sutherland Park uh, Racetrack and Casino. And he's with us for uh, this week's edition of Track Talk. Uh, Eric, uh, we will have back next week. Great to see you. I love the office. I love the the uh, the artwork in the background. And, hey, we appreciate you uh, being able to uh, step in this week for Eric. How are you today, Dustin? Good, Cappy. And Eric has 13 races to call today, so he's saving his voice. He's had some bouts with laryngitis, so I'm actually the backup announcer. So I'm praying that uh, Eric makes it through his 13 races. I'm joking about the backup announcer. We have no backup announcer. So anyone listening to this that wants to be a backup announcer, let me know. My name's Dustin Dix at Sutherland Park, and the pay for a backup announcer is not good, but it's <laughs> all in your passion. It's following your passion is what it's all about. When was the last time you called a race, uh, a horse race? Give me the uh, give me the lowdown. I called one race in my illustrious career in horse racing at beautiful Great Lakes Downs in Muskegon, Michigan, and my delivery was kind of like William Shatner. It was those pauses, <laughs> of, and they're off, and it was you know like the Shatner way of doing it. And I realized at that point my career is not as an announcer. It's very hard to do when the mic comes on and describe what you see. And it's definitely, definitely a talent and a skill. And I have the utmost respect for Eric and all the announcers out there. It's, it's not as easy as people think. So, uh, wait a minute, you did one race or one race day. How did it work for you? One race. That was it. All right. And that was it. You decided that was the end. And not dealing with this ever again, and you're—that uh, was it. That's one and done. I like that, Dustin. One and done. That's the way to do it. Well, I, well, I think the story was—is I was the backup announcer, and they said we want to see how good you are. They threw me up there, and they saw how good I was, and I never called another race again. So that should tell you. How many years have you now been director of racing operations out at Sunland Park Racetrack? I was, I've been at Sunland Park for 21 years, and I was promoted to director of racing in January of 2004. So is how it, many every years that is? Is, I can't it, count. is it crazy to think that you're, you're nearing 20 as the director of racing operations, given just your longevity uh, here at the track? It's very rare. It's very rare in any industry to be at one job this long. And for me, it's being able to grow and being able to deal with different problems and I'm still having to deal with different things. Even Sunday, we had a situation on Sunday with the high winds where we canceled our races, deciding on how to make these races up. Yeah, that that was something that we've never done before. And kind of a cool thing happening today here at the track is that we're running four stakes races after our ninth race today. We're going to have extra races for the fans, 10, 11, 12 and 13. So 
when this is aired today, um, we'll still have the Mind That Bird Derby and and another one as well, the Albert and Henry Dominguez. So we're going to go till about as much daylight. I think we have enough daylight today. Our last race is scheduled to go at 540. Mm-hmm. So we can hit those post times. We should have plenty of daylight. And we're expecting a huge off-track handle. Tuesdays, Tuesdays, Cappy, is one of our best off-track handling days. And so we're giving the fans a little bonus of four stake races today. We'll, we'll see how it goes. How difficult was it for you to make the call to cancel Sunday? Because the winds were brutal, and I can't even imagine if they had to try and race in those conditions. Have we ever seen live racing with winds that high before? We've had pretty close, but I actually went to the starting gate for the second race. I could hardly stand. Sand was pelting me in the face. I hid behind the starting gate, and I'm... 140 pounds heavier than a jockey i couldn't imagine riding in a race um just the not only as dangerous as it is just the the jockeys were willing to ride but we talked about it uh the stewards talked about it management talked about it and it's just the whole day was windy like that it was windy throughout the evening as well so Mm -hmm. we made the right decision that was the easy decision the hard part was how to make these races up because i had eight different scenarios from eight different people and weeding through what we thought would be the best decision. That was the hard part for me of making these stakes races up today. Those horses need to run because they're trained and ready to run. So if we waited a week, these are prep races, Cappy, for Sunland Derby Day. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're prep races for the Sunland Oaks, the Sunland Derby, and a couple of the breed races. So we need to get these horses to run so they have enough time to rest for our next, for our, our big races on Sunland Derby Day. So. It was putting that all together that it took us a while to come up with the right idea, then move forward, getting the information out there. So that was the hard part of the day for me. It wasn't the canceling. It was how to make these up was the difficult part for me. Dustin, did you tell me that you actually raced one race on Sunday and then you went out for the second race and that's when you made the decision to call the rest of them? We actually ran two races and they ran that second race and the backstretch, it was bad and then when they get to the turn and the wind hit them the other way, they were all kind of blown towards the rail. And those jockeys are, you know, there's not a lot of professions where people follow you around in an ambulance. They are definitely athletes. They are definitely the, some of the toughest athletes in the game. And uh, they were willing to ride. And we we're just like, look, guys, we want to do what's best. And, you know, just standing out there for the second race, I don't know how they rode the second race. I, my hat's off to them. And, um, they they ride in everything. They ride in you know heat, sun, um, rain, snow, you name it. But those winds were just they were over close to seventy miles an hour here at Sunland Park. We had some poles blow down in the barn area. We we had a little bit of damage done there. So even the starting gate, the numbers on top of the starting gate were rattling so loud that the starting gate sounded like an airplane with turbulence. So the horses were even starting to get a little nervous, and that's when we're like. When the jockey said, hey, he was out there, he saw how bad it was. And I'm like, it's yeah. bad, guys. Yeah. It's bad. Good so, call. Yeah, really good call. It was an easy decision. and I, I hate to do it so quick of running these races back, but we had no choice. Um, so hopefully the customers out there know as well that today is the day that we're running these four stakes races.
Dustin Dix is the director of racing operations out at uh, Selma Park Racetrack and Casino. He joins us here on Track Talk this week, filling in for Eric Alwyn. All right, uh, so let's talk about these four races. Uh, you've got the Albert and Henry Dominguez Memorial Handicap, the Red Heatman Mile, the Island Fashion Stakes, and then the Mind That Bird Derby. Now, when Eric joined us last week, he thought there were two locks of those four big time favorites that he was like, well, if you're going to play the four, you definitely want to use these two and then key them with maybe four or five horses in the other two races. Do you feel the same way? Are there two horses in two of these four races that just stand out as clear favorites to you right now? You know, the mind that bird derby is interesting to me, Cappy, because I think the, how did we do, how did he do that? The big favorite I think is going to be scratched there. So with that scratch, Henry Q is probably the horse to look at mm-hmm. um, that broke its maiden at Santa Anita. I think that's probably one of the horses to look at. And then the Island Fashion, that's going to run at 425 today. Um, probably wish it, the Steve Asmussen horse, I'm sure, is, is and the Christian Dioro, the, I think those two, the four and five in there are probably the standouts. Um, it's going to be interesting, though, Cappy, because those four stakes races are going to have a pick four with those four races. Then we're going to have a pick three with those, the next three races. So a lot of, a lot of ways to make some money out here today and being on a Tuesday, we should have some gigantic pools to bet in. So I'm expecting a, a, a big handle today. Well, in excess of a million dollars today. Oh, that's enormous. As far as crowd goes, I know it's a, it's a weekday, not a, a weekend, but there's plenty of people that are retired, come to the track as regulars, but maybe for them it's even an added bonus that we have uh, the big four races coming today. I think so. I think so, Cappy. Tuesday's not a huge crowd on track, as you said, but the people that are here know about it, and it's kind of a special little bonus to them and bonus to our our simulcast players out there. And we've got some good press. Uh, Mary Rampolini with the racing forum's done a great job, and Felix Chavez locally here has done a great job of getting the word out. So, so we're excited about it. We're we're just hoping the winds aren't. <laughs> we heard it, it'll be breezy around here. Breezy isn't a big deal. So we're hoping those winds stay down. There you go. Uh, meanwhile, this weekend, let's talk about the races coming up. Uh, you've got on Saturday the Sunburst Stakes uh, for three-year-old fillies. That's the 350-mile sprint. And then Sunday, uh, the Pepper's Pride Stakes along with the Curbo uh, Handicaps. you got a couple of good ones uh, coming up for this weekend. Yeah, we got some great races this weekend. And then the week after, next Friday and Saturday, we have our West Texas uh, Futurity and New Mexican Spring Futurity Trials. Mm-hmm. So trial days are very exciting out here and this is the great part of the meet where we're, we're uh, five weeks left of our racing season, believe it or not, just 20 racing days left. And each day is going to be, you know, leading up to our Sunland Derby day and our finals of our West Texas Futurity and New Mexican spring. So a lot of really great races out there for the fans coming up, ending our season on uh, April 2nd. Are there some big horses this weekend that are going to be racing that uh, people should be keeping an eye on, especially for some of those stakes races we just talked about? Yeah, I haven't had a chance to look at Sunday's card that hard with all the cancellations and everything. But, uh, you know, it's probably the, the 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 breed races are sometimes they go back and forth. So there's a lot of times it's good to catch like a long shot in there. Um, the quarter horse races, I've noticed that they've been winning from the inside and the middle and the outside. So I think it's been very fair. People that are out there that 
are looking for biases and handicapping angles. I think haven't seen any, um, you know, any big trends in the last few weeks. So I think they're going to be good betting races. I mean, do you like to play jockeys and trainers? Is that, uh, you know, a popular thing for you? So if you see a Todd Fincher horse, especially if the horse has a, a pretty uh, favorable uh, odds uh, and, and you can make some money back, you jump on that. Or if you see Luis Fuentes on a ride, you want to jump on that. Is that kind of some of the, the good good ways to play these horses? I think so, and the hard part is usually those those horses are played a lot, so they usually are some of the favorites. Mm-hmm. What I would try to look for is you kind of look at each race as kind of like a play, and each play is different. So you look for races that have like a lot of horses that are what we call front runners, horses that go to the lead, then that sets it up for closers. And then the, the name of the game in horse racing is, is, is pace makes the race. So if you get a race where there's only one horse that likes to be on the front end, a lot of times they get brave and then you could catch a long shot that way. So I don't really play anymore, um, especially on Sunland Park. I'm not allowed to because of my title here. But yeah. that's how I would approach it as a gambler is try to look at as a handicapping tool of how you think the race will develop, where you think your horse will go. And, you know, sometimes a race sets up good for a closer. Sometimes it sets up good for a front runner and sometimes it sets up good for a stalker. So that's that's the great thing about horse racing is um, you have an opinion, you can capitalize it, and you can make a lot of money. So I, I love horse racing, and that's just the part of it is it's it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle, and it's trying to go through the minutia of trying to figure it out is why I work here. It's such a hard thing to do that uh, I started out as a gambler. As Cappy knows, the, the when I was 18 or 19, I hit the trifecta in the Kentucky Derby, and that's what got me into horse racing. And so I, I'm empathetic to the gambler, and uh, and I started out as a gambler. So that's definitely something that we try to take care of. What derby was that when you hit the uh, trifecta? Which year? 19, 1991, strike the gold. And strike you did. Gold. And you did just that, right? Strike the gold, best pal, main minister. Oh, my gosh. That's fantastic. I didn't want to know what it paid, but I'm happy that it <laughs> – it hooked you in. It, it paid, it paid uh, I think, a little over 4000 And I was 18 or 19, and I was in college, and I was I was playing Division II football. I was a backup offensive lineman and realized I wasn't going to play for the Lions. And <laughs> even, even back then, I wasn't going to play for the Lions, and uh, that's what got me into horse racing and dropped out of school, started going to the track every day, and that's when my dad told me, you got to go to school or get a job and – I saw an ad in the program that said, um, you want a career in horse racing, University of Arizona? And I said, hey, Dad, what do you think of this? And sounds crazy, and that's how I did it. Amazing. From Michigan, and went to Tucson, graduated, and then just started a career from there. And um, grateful for what horse racing's done to me personally. It's been, been great for me. And El Paso's been great for me as well, being here for 21 years. I, I love the area. And, I know you love it here as well. You've been here for a number of years as well. It's fun always talking to your friends around the country when you tell them, yeah, it's 75 here today, and they usually tell you something that I can't say on the radio. So. <laughs> I love it. Hey, Dustin, it's been uh, it's it's flown by today for Track Talk, but we appreciate the time, especially having you uh, pinch hit for us, and uh, great stuff, great to visit with you, and let's forward to the next time we get to do it again here on the show. Oh, I do too, Cappy, and this isn't as hard as Eric said, so I'll give him the gears when I see him. <laughs> Please do.
He's Dustin Dix as we continue here on Sports Talk with Track Talk. We'll come back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Let's go to Charlie One and get this traffic update. The great Eddie Vedder, a favorite of our next guest, who joins us today here in studio. By the way, uh, have you noticed that when Tim Haggerty shows up for an appearance, he's not dressed in, like, you know, a T-shirt and sweats. He comes dressed like us, Adrian. I'm bummed out. I was expecting the sweats and the uh, track suit or something along those no. lines. Maybe a Chihuahua's jumpsuit. Uh, January's over. February's here. Uh, and March is right around the corner, which is the month of Tim Haggerty. I do not expect that unless I see him on a weekend when he's out with the family and he's not working. Uh, I know that if it's any kind of a work capacity like today and he's coming home from the office, we're going to see Hags in slacks, a long sleeve dress shirt, and, uh, and dress shoes. And that's exactly what we're getting today. The new author of Tales from the Dugout, a thousand and one humorous, inspirational, and wild anecdotes from minor league baseball, which will be dropping a month from today on March the 28th. It's the one and only voice of the El Paso Chihuahuas, Tim Haggerty. How you doing? Great to be back. Thank you, Steve. Great to have you here, Hags. And man, oh man, congratulations on what uh, I know you got to be excited. This is your life work. You've written so many articles over the years for the Sporting News, Hardball Times, and so many others. Now you finally get uh, yourself published. It's got to be a super uh, proud achievement for you. Yeah, it has 1,001 stories. It'll be in stores March 28th. It's available online now for pre-order, Amazon, and some other sites. And it is. It's a great thrill. I started working on it in 2012, and now it exists. So, Well, that's what it's all about. And by the way, $16.95 is the price on Amazon. That is a small price to pay for a uh, work of art from um, our guest who joins us here uh, in studio. I'm so proud of you. And of the 1,001 humorous uh, anecdotes, a few of these, actually, more than a few, have been mentioned over the last few years on Storytime. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, the stories involve some current stories, but they also go all the way back to the 1800s. It's a very visual book as well. As you flip through it, there's a lot of illustrations, really cool layout. And that's what I hoped for was a visual book. Uh, it has 1,001 stories, but each of them are only a couple of sentences. Oh, that's it? Just uh, a few sentences. We don't have anything longer. It's nothing that's like more than a... Oh, this is true. Nothing more than a page so far in this. Or do we ever have any stories that like take up pages? Or for the most part, they're all like a paragraph. Yeah, mostly just one paragraph each. Mm. And I thought to pack in the amount of illustrations that I was hoping for, that was the way to do it. So... It's 1,001 stories, but the text is only about 50,000 words. Oh, that's that's. And by the way, who did the illustrations on this book? It's beautiful. Yeah, I've never met him. It's uh, an artist named Ben Sampson who's in Virginia. Mm. Uh, Harper Collins, the publisher, hired him, and I think he did a great job. By the way, that's another, that's another coup for you. I know the book is published by Cider Mill Press, but it's a division of HarperCollins. Uh, how exciting is that to know that one of the largest book publishers in the world is the book company that, uh, that took this project on? Thank you. That part's very exciting. And the most exciting part is their distribution. So it'll be in stores around the country. Uh, everywhere books are sold, you can get it. I heard that Target just picked it up. So nice. that was exciting for Let's sure. Let's go, Tim. That is great. Hey, by the way, uh, you did a you did a great spot with um, um, Matt Vaskersian in MLB Network about a month ago or so, right? Like yes. a virtual call that that went really well for you. Congratulations on that! 
Thank you. Yeah, it was on MLB Network's Hot Stove Show with Matt Vaskersian, of course, the former Diablos broadcaster, and Bill Ripken. Uh, Bill Ripken was really helpful in getting that done. I know him a little bit, and the publisher asked me to put together some media copies, uh, some addresses they could send media copies to. So I sent Bill Ripken a message asking if there's anyone at MLB Network I should send this to. And my only hope is that he supplies a producer's name at MLB Network. Mm -hmm. But he goes above and beyond, and he says, send me a copy at home. And a few days later, they booked me on the show. So I'm very thankful. Um, There's only a handful of advanced copies out there at this point. You're holding one, and Mm. uh, Bill Ripken's house in Maryland has another. That's awesome. By the way, uh, the El Paso Diablos are in the book, uh, in case you're wondering. With uh, the world's largest banana split, April 21st, 1974... Any guess, because uh, I know Hags has mentioned this before on the show, Adrian. Any guess how many bananas, gallons of ice cream, gallons of oh, strawberries, man. and whipped cream, the pounds of whipped cream we had for the largest banana split? I'm going to guess uh, 200 pounds of whipped cream. That's uh, That'll be my guess. Wow. No, way too high? Way too high. I don't know these numbers. Throw these numbers at me. All right. Okay, let's just do this. Just get a measure. So it's 170 bananas was the world's largest banana split. So closing your eyes and picturing 170 bananas, how many gallons of ice cream do you think that would be? Okay. I think that would be maybe around 40 gallons. Of Fif- I- 15. Okay. So based on that, 15 gallons of ice cream, how many gallons of strawberries? I'm going to guess 10. I'm gonna guess Very 10, close. Yeah. 12. Okay. 12. And how many pounds of whipped cream? Okay, now how many pounds? All right, uh, this is like five, right? Fifteen. Okay, not bad. 15. Not bad. That is cool. Um, I wonder if one day, you know what, Jim Paul, I'm surprised he hasn't called in and talked about this because that's a big deal, the world's largest banana split back in 1974. Yeah, and there's a great illustration of that in the book. And the great part was Jim and the Diablo staff, they handed out free spoons to the mm. kids, and they had this massive banana split on the field between games of a doubleheader. So you just had kids inhaling this ice cream next to other kids also eating. Dude, that's amazing. Amazing. By the way, um, are the Chihuahuas in the book? Yes, there's a couple of Chihuahua stories, uh, including Chris Taylor, who's become a star with the Dodgers. He was playing for Tacoma in 2016, and his wild throw bounced away and hit Chico in the first base dugout. Chico went down. It became a viral video, and the next day he had his fuzzy arm in a sling. Oh, that's awesome. By the way, did he get? Where did he get hit? In the arm? Yes. On a fly. It skipped on the warning track in front of the camera well on the first base side, and then got Chico. So it bounced once, but still got him pretty good. And he formed quite a rivalry with Chris Taylor. There were signs. There were pictures together. It went on for a couple of days. You uh, knew the man that portrayed Chico uh, during this uh, incident. Um, fun aside, does it hurt getting? drilled, wearing a mascot costume, um, or is there enough protection to kind of shield your body? I'm told, yes. I'm told it was a bruise. It really? Wasn't, okay. It wasn't serious pain, but it hurt, yeah. It hurts. So the point is, even if you're wearing the Chico costume, it's still going to, it's not exactly like uh, you're you're wearing an Evo shield when you're going up to bat and you just let it hit a hard piece of plastic. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, it would probably be like a thick jacket, and then with the speed of the ball, a AAA shortstop's throw, that's moving pretty good. That's awesome. Tim Haggerty with us right now. Again, the name of the book, Tales from the Dugout. Just search Tim Haggerty book 
on uh, Amazon. That's the easiest way to do it. And when you search Tim, and by the way, Haggerty with one G. I think people still think that you're related to Pat Haggerty, Dan Haggerty, and the Haggerty family here in El Paso. They don't realize that, uh, no, uh, you, uh, prior to coming to the Chihuahuas in 2014, you had no uh, relatives in this area. Right. They have two Gs. I have one G. I do occasionally hear that still. Um, you know, maybe that's my career goal is for someday for a member of that family to be asked, are you related to the sportscaster? Mm, maybe it's happened already. Maybe. You know, it's very possible that somebody listened to the voice of the Chihuahuas, Tim Haggerty, and has asked the other Haggertys, is there, have, you, have they ever called you and asked you if, you're, <laughs> if they're related? No. No, as far as I know, I've never met any of them. Of course, I've driven on Sean Haggerty Road mm. um, over on that side of town, but yeah, maybe we should do a photo someday. That would be nice. Bottom of the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Tales from the dugout, uh, Tim Haggerty with us. But uh, as we continue, let's send it back to Adrian and get this uh, bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Tim Haggerty with us right now. Tales from the dugout, 1,001 humorous, inspirational, and wild anecdotes from minor league baseball. Adrian's got the, the review copy now, checking that out, perusing it as we continue. How long did it take? to really put this book together from start to finish, would you say? I started working on it in 2012. I didn't work on it every day in between. But as you mentioned earlier, I love baseball history, love the research. And when researching something else back in 2012 when I was living in Tucson, I came across this newspaper clipping of an 1880s game that got delayed in Austin when a wild bull ran on the field. And I thought, well, I've never heard this story. The odds are most other people haven't either. So that story is really what got me going on this, looking for stories all the way back to the 1800s, but also keeping notes on current craziness in the minor leagues that takes place. And, you know, when my son was young and he was taking a nap on an off-season weekend, that's what i do in the afternoon is I'd flip through the 1908 baseball reach guide and see what crazy minor league stories happened that year. And over the years, all of a sudden, I had 1,100 stories and then trimmed it down to 1,001. Wow. How did you um, get copies of those old reach guides to try to come up with some of these stories? Many of them are available online. The ones that aren't are at the Baseball Hall of Fame Library in Cooperstown. And in 2020, I um, took a couple days off work and flew to the Albany Airport and drove to Cooperstown really? uh, for a research trip. So I was able to find a lot of great stories at the Baseball Hall of Fame for this book. I never knew that. That's awesome. By the way, so you, so the Hall of Fame was kind enough to let you spend a few days out there checking that out. Yeah, they have a very helpful staff. I contacted them, let them know what I was doing. And basically, if you give them enough advance notice, they can not only have a spot for you in the library, but also supply the books that you want to look through. That's really cool. Uh, how far is Cooperstown from Albany? It is... Um, I think only one hour off the top of my head. That's not bad because I drove up from New York City, and that was a bit of a drive going up, uh, you know, up New York State just to get there. And we did that. We went that. We made it there and back in one day, and that was oh, wow. a lot, that was a lot of fun. But yeah, I think Albany would probably be the easier trip. Although, uh, again, flying from El Paso to Albany, that's that's going to be a trek in itself. It was a reminder just how rural Cooperstown is. I hadn't been there since I was a kid, and. As you know, by the time you get to Cooperstown and you're trying to find your way to the Hall of Fame, you're not just going on Route 10. You're going on Miller's Farm Road. I mean, there's literally dirt roads and deer jogging across. Uh, it's so picturesque there. But the views, especially from, um, I guess, it's is it a lake that's right across as you're driving into Cooperstown? It's beautiful. Exactly. 
Yeah, and uh, I was there in October. Stunning foliage. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, absolutely. Something if, if you've never, you know, I'd like to eventually see all the different halls of fame. I mean, I want to go to Toronto for the Hockey Hall of Fame. I'd like to be in Canton for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and of course, basketball for the Naismith Hall of Fame because there's so many UTEP individuals in with the '66 team: Don Haskins, Nolan Richardson, and, and Nate Tiny Archibald. That would be a lot of fun, but. There's just something that that should be said about the Baseball Hall of Fame because uh, it's just, uh, you know, if you love baseball, it's you walk in there and you feel like you're just in, uh, you're in a museum. It's been around since the 30s, and that's the best, and same building all these years. And that's what was so fun about the research part is they literally give you these surgical gloves because they're handing me these guides that were printed in the early 1900s, mm-hmm. and they don't want our fingerprints on them. Wow. So I was sitting there thinking, I mean, just... The book I'm holding was published more than 100 years ago. Really cool feeling. Is the Baseball Hall of Fame haunted? It might be. There's articles about that. Uh, I think that was a story time that we talked about here on 600 one time, was that it might be. Um, Some experts, when it comes to paranormal activities, say that apparently spirits, according to some, can live on articles of clothing. And you have Ty Cobb's jersey, and there's rumors that in the middle of the night— when security's walking the Hall of Fame, that they hear voices. Really? Oh, wow. That is... Yeah, there's articles about that, which is really cool. And again, I, I am not an expert on any of this, but I remember researching this for my story time with you guys. Uh, paranormal experts also say that people that were really feisty in the living world apparently become um, feisty ghosts. Oh, wow. And people cool. like Ty Cobb, of course, were oh. angry. So uh, he's probably an angry spirit now. He's got to be one of the great ghosts uh, of all time, really, <laughs> right, when you yeah. think about it. Um, that would be kind of fun. Uh, Adrian, what are your thoughts as you're, as you're looking over the book? Yeah, uh, first off, Tim, I feel like you've made it. When you have an Amazon preview, like a look inside your book on Amazon. So that's how I was able to actually look at it uh, during this entire segment. And I love that. Uh, any comment there? Thank you. I think the Amazon preview images that, again, people can check out if you just type my name or Tales from the Dugout into Amazon, um, it really shows the illustrations, which, again, was what I hoped for. It was not only these quick, fun, crazy stories, but a cartoonish illustration to go with a lot of them. And I think they did a good job on those early pages of demonstrating what the book is going to be. And that's what you can look at on Amazon is those first few pages. Uh, one of the some of the more fascinating stories that you told with us here on the show, uh, to me personally, were from the 1800s. And some of the early ones that I'm seeing out of this one uh, include this: the Six Commandments in 19 in 1891. <laughs> the Oklahoma City Pirates published these ballpark rules. Uh, I won't read all of them, but I'll read my favorite ones. Number one: no intoxicating beverages allowed on the grounds. Uh, number three: betting strictly pro, uh, f- uh, forbidden. Number four, this is my favorite one, killing of an umpire is prohibited. <laughs> Love these. So there's kind of this perception out there that the late 1800s and the early 1900s, the early days of baseball, that it was gentlemanly and polite. It is absolutely not true. It was a wild time. Mm-hmm. And these ball players were fighting to keep their jobs because if they didn't, they were working some laboring positions back in their hometowns. Um, it's not like today where players come from, in some cases, a certain background of money that allowed them to go to showcases and that type of thing. It's not true. These are guys that were working at a mill or in a mine, and they were ready to fight. So, um, you know, Adrian, not to sidetrack you, but when you mentioned killing of umpire prohibited, do you guys want to hear two quick great ones from El Paso? Yes, I do. Of course. In 1931, an El Paso fan threw an iron chair 
at an umpire named Pug Cavett and hit him in the head. The fan, when being yanked away by police, said he was upset about the strike zone calls. Wow, so yeah. much he took his iron chair and threw it and hit an umpire in the he head. He could have killed him. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't have screens in those days. That's right. Good point. Okay. So then another umpire here in El Paso had enough. 1938, it was a Class D game here. And the umpire that day, and by the way, I said singular. Back then, it's one umpire on the field in the minor leagues. Wow. Uh, the umpire took off his mask, put down his chest protector, walked off the field mid-game, and never returned. He said, I'm done mid-game. Really? <laughs> Just got so upset with the fans, yep. he left. He left. He and Antonio they- Browned the situation. Right. Did they finish the game without umpires, or did they just yes. stop the game? Oh, Players really? did. Players umpired. That's so interesting. All right. Which uh, you know is completely objective when you have players umpiring. El Paso is, El Paso's had some wild history over the years, haven't they? For sure. Good stuff. Tim Haggerty with us. 20 in front of 6 as we continue here on Sports Talk. Did you know it's National Pancake Day? No. What is your favorite type of pancake? So, um... For four years, I lived in Vermont, which is where maple syrup comes from. And mm-hmm. they are so prideful about that, that when you are in a restaurant in Vermont and you order pancakes, they'll honestly say to you, real or fake syrup. Oh, wow. Like the same way they'd ask you a different question about how you want your steak cooked or something. It's just mm-hmm. a common thing they say because uh, that stuff you buy in the supermarket, they don't like that. They like the real stuff. Uh, you've probably eaten uh, pancakes with real syrup. Yes. You tell me, what's the, what's the biggest difference you learned from having the real stuff over the fake stuff? The real stuff is more liquidy. Like, you could you could drink it. It's less uh, of a syrup Syrupy. than what yeah. I picture, yeah. Um, so it's, it tastes fine. You know, I'm not, like, someone that must have it now. If you're from Vermont and you're listening, I'm sorry. I love you, but, you know, your syrup is good. But, but you not like the, the fa- only thing. Do yeah. you like? Would you prefer the fake stuff if you had a choice? Um, Just be honest. Nobody's listening. Yeah, from Vermont. You're all right. You're yeah. safe. All right. Appreciate that. <laughs> By the way, do you prefer plain pancakes or do you like uh, either chocolate chips, blueberries, uh, you know, bananas? What do you think? I'm a big pancake guy. Um, mm. Yeah, I like blueberries. Me too. Chocolate chips. Um, trying to eat a little bit healthier now as I'm getting a little bit older. So probably most times I'd order regular. Adolfo suggested that you need to have um, Nutella with uh, pancakes and bananas. And you know what? Nutella just liked his tweet. Like, Nutella USA liked (laughs) the tweet that just came out during the show. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, Nutella's got uh, 137,000 followers. So the Nutella social media person is thrilled with... Yeah, Nutella, Nutella USA has just become an Adolfo fan yeah. after hearing that. That is good. That is really good. I wonder if he followed him. That'd be nice. Hey, we'll come back. Plenty more with Hags. If you want to get in, you want to talk about his new book, Tales from the Dugout, 505-6009. That is our telephone number. As uh, we get ready, uh, Chapin and Parkland will get updates as well from UTEP Zay. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. Welcome back. 49 past the hour as we continue. Thanks to Pinky, who just dropped in as uh, he said hello. And one of our loyal listeners who always listens to us on the app and came in with a, uh, a very nice uh, gift he brought by. Appreciate that, Pinky. But uh, Tim Haggerty is the gift that keeps on giving. He's got the new book out, Tales from the Dugout. And uh, Tales from the Dugout, a thousand and uh, one humorous, inspirational, and wild anecdotes from minor league baseball. By the way, a thousand and one. 
Could this have been nine hundred and ninety nine, a thousand, <laughs> or uh, was it the publisher's decision to go to one zero zero one or yours? That one was mine. A lot of things nice. were not uh, the title, the design. That was not my decision. But I had about eleven hundred stories, mm. and I thought, what am I going to do with this? And one day, I walked by my wife's cookbook, and on the spine of the book, it said one thousand one recipes. And I thought, <sighs> I like that number. So it was my wife's cookbook that gave me the idea for that number. And from there, it was just merging, getting it down to 1001. So, for example, there was an early 1900s player who got arrested for using profanity on the field. And then there was an umpire in the 1930s who got arrested for using profanity in the field. I didn't want to include both of those, so I merged that, made it one story. That's how I got it down to 1001. Okay. And by the way, I said not ejected, but these guys got arrested for using profane language. Back in those days, it yeah. really was the case, huh? That's interesting. Um, as you looked over the uh, the stories, was the hardest part trying to legitimize some of these tales because they sound so crazy? You almost said it's too crazy to even be true? Yes. I love this topic. So Good. There's a couple in here that I used a word like reportedly or he claims. For example, there was a game in Pennsylvania in the 1890s, and there was a player, Matt Kilroy, Allegedly, he breaks his bat, and the team is out of bats. So the story goes, and this was in real newspapers and everything, that he grabbed an axe, took it up into the batter's box, hit the ball, and split it in half. He claims half split of the, the ball, ball. Split the ball in split half. Split the ball in half. Okay. Which in those days, they're using just two or three balls a yeah. game. He claims that half of the ball went over the fence and that the umpire gave his team half a run. And I honestly thought about this for so long because in my head, did this really happen or is this just folklore? I don't want to put anything in here that didn't happen. But the story is so good. It's easy to understand. It's funny. Half a ball goes over the fence. It's half a run. Well, so what I did is I put reportedly. So okay. that clears me. When I say reportedly this happened, it was in an actual newspaper. Um, mm. So I did put it in. Wouldn't you almost love to take Cody Decker, if he still lived in town, and get him to Southwest University Park with an axe and a ball, like, a, like not, just a, not a brand new ball, but like a, a batting practice ball, throw it to him, have him with all his might swing as hard as he could and see if he would be able to split a baseball and it would go another 250 to 300 feet? <laughs> I would absolutely love that. Um, I see Cody on TV. He's looking... As muscular as ever, so I suspect uh, he might hit it hard. What would happen to that ball after? I don't know. I know, but but it almost makes you wonder. Could if if, if you swung an axe as hard as these guys do today, could you in fact, if you connected pro- properly, split the ball in half? I do wonder that. Me too. There was another one in Minneapolis in the early 1900s that it was a rainy, soggy day, and allegedly the batter hit one straight down in front of home plate. And the ball got stuck in the mud. Mm. And there's fielders digging through this mud looking for the ball as the batter rounds the bases for an inside-the-park home run. That's awesome. And there's a— It's like the natural, except instead of the ball disappearing in the rain (laughs) when all you get is is yarn, you actually hit it someplace and it disappears. Exactly. That was another one that I really wondered about. Mm -hmm. But when you—there aren't many of those in the book, but it it was so good. And it was in so many different places, newspaper articles— there was even um, uh, a story in another baseball book about that called The Two-Foot Home Run. So that's why I put it in. Are there 
future big leaguers or Hall of Famers in the book that at one time were in the minor leagues and were involved in some of these tales? Yes, including one in El Paso. 2015, the Chihuahua's second season, they organized a wiener dog race next to the third base line. And four out of the five dogs ran straight like they were supposed to. But there was one wiener dog that went rogue and started running all around the infield. I love this. And the game had to be momentarily delayed at Southwest University Park as Oklahoma City fielders chased this wiener dog. I remember And it that wasn't story. until recently, when you mentioned any big names, it wasn't until recently that I noticed that one of the Oklahoma City infielders that this wiener dog zooms past is Corey Seager. Oh, wow. That's very yeah. cool. That video's still up somewhere. Yes. Yes. Um, there are some big names in a crazy story that took place in 1978. It's a double-A Eastern League game. Bristol, Connecticut is on the road at Jersey City, New Jersey. Wade Boggs is playing for Bristol. Ricky Henderson is playing for Jersey City. And a fly ball disappeared. It was a clear night. It was early in the night. It wasn't a foggy night or anything like that. And I know this sounds crazy, but I talked to players who were on the field in this game. A right-handed batter hit a very high fly ball, and the players, the fans, the umpires, nobody saw what happened to this ball. It did not go in the stands. It did not land on the field. It did not go over the fence. It just vanished. How is that humanly possible? Exactly. They they say the lighting was bad in this park, but... Um, it's amazing. The ball just disappeared. The ball vanished, and the umpires get together. Obviously, they don't know what the rule is when a ball disappears yeah. so they gave the batter a double oh nice that's the old uh yeah ground rule double when you can't find it i like <laughs> right, that right all right uh do me a favor uh stick around we'll talk more about the book i also want to get your thoughts on this year's team give me a little preview of the roster and yeah. we could even have a player that could be a borderline cooperstown bound in a couple uh, in five six years uh, in el paso at some point that'd be really cool i think i know who you mean sure right. we'll do that next tim Haggerty with us sports talk continues 600 espn el paso Final hour of Sports Talk underway. Along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplow. It's good to have you with us. We are blessed with Tim Haggerty today. Brand new book uh, coming out a month from now, Tales from the Dugout, 1,001 humorous, inspirational, and wild anecdotes from minor league baseball. You know, you can follow Tim on Twitter. Let me give you Tim's handle for those of you that um, you know are, are on social media and um, you know would like to uh, keep uh, track of Hags. T.D. Haggerty on Twitter. That is T.D. Haggerty on Twitter. By the way, in your bio, it says visitor of 49 states. Do we need to update that, or are you still at 49? Still at 49, and the toughest one to get to is the one I'm missing. I've never been to Alaska. Mm. Well, here's the question. You know, vacation-wise, <laughs> um, your best time to go to Alaska would be during baseball season because right. the truth is – Anytime between October and February is rough uh, heading out to uh, to Alaska. But that being said, you know it's 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 something you got to experience at least once in your lifetime. I'm just picturing that pitch to my wife. Okay, holiday break coming up, late December. Mm. Let's fly to Anchorage. It'll be light for two hours. Yep. It'll be twenty below, but those two hours, it'll be beautiful. We'll see if she goes for it. It might be tough. You're right. It might be tough. Um, I also want to remind our listeners to uh, follow at InformHag Tweets. <laughs> now, uh, at InformHag Tweets uh, has not posted <laughs> since June of 2015. 
In fact, the last informative Haggerty tweet was, it is customary for leadoff hitters to inform the catcher <laughs> if they intend to swing at the first pitch. That was it. By the way, the last retweet was yours from informative hag tweets. Did you know that? No. Yes. You sent out this gem in February of 2016. People often use the phrase, tweeted it out. Seems redundant. All tweets go out. (laughs) By the way. That's actually not bad. That sounded like an informative Haggerty tweet, <laughs> but that actually came from you. Right. An informative Hag tweet retweeted that. That was the last time that's happened. So I had not thought of this account since 2016, but um, yeah, there's a group of Chihuahuas players. Mm-hmm. I still believe it's Cody Decker behind it. Cody to this day denies it and says it's somebody that I'm not thinking of at all that is behind it. That uh, started this parody account of sorts. It probably has like, I don't know, a dozen followers. but It has actually um, 53 followers. Oh, okay. Um, tell me if this made the book. Okay, because I'm so interested. This, this would actually be in the book. Ready? From Informative Haggerty, June 13th, 2015. The rain delay tarp slide was first done in 1897 <laughs> by Richard Velvito McCandles. <laughs> The tarp was made of wool, and it did not work. Is that in 1001 uh, humorous, inspirational, and wild anecdotes for minor league baseball? No, it's not, because that's not a real story, as funny as it is. Uh, things in my book come from real sources. Mm. I think that was from Cody Decker's imagination. Do you? Okay. I mean, a wool tarp? Yes. How would you pull it off the field? This was 1897, Hags. This is a long time ago when they uh, when they when they first delayed, you know, came up with this tarp slide for uh, Richard Velvito McCandles, according to the uh, Twitter handle. So um, I do know who was apparently responsible for all these tweets. I don't know if I believe it either, but I I will tell you during the break if you've never really heard for sure. Oh, oh yeah, it's not Cody. No, uh, he was he had a say, but it was not. It, this was not a uh, complete uh, Cody Decker production. He might have had a co, uh, a, a co-author, so to speak. What if I guess it? Okay, like right now. Like, will you confirm it? Sure. One day on the team bus to Fresno, I was asking Cody if it was him, and there was a player smirking in the background. Rocky Gale. Hmm. Yep. Is that the name you have? That was the name. <laughs> yep. Could you see that from Rocky? Long time uh, Chihuahuas catcher. I could, because Rocky has Twitter, but he told me that he, quote, lurks in the weeds. He's the type of Twitter oh, user he's, that... he's a perfect example burner. of inform hag tweets. Exactly. He, he's the type of Twitter person that sees all the tweets. He sees everything, mm. but never participates. So this was maybe his way to get in on the action. I wonder what Rocky's up to right now. Do we know? He was with the Dodgers. Yes, he's, the Los, he's got a big job. He's the Los Angeles Dodgers roving catching instructor. He oversees all of their minor league catchers. Oh, very nice. That's actually a really good job for a 35-year-old. Exactly. Yeah, he's, he's doing very well for himself, and that probably explains why he hasn't tweeted since 2016 hmm. from this fake Haggerty account. He's, uh, he has a real job now. Oh, or maybe right. he has a burner account, and now he's doing th- the same thing, but to the Dodgers players or broadcasters. <laughs> that could be the case, too. Um, Esteban tweets the show, take a cruise to Alaska out of Seattle. Yes. Um, love the idea, but... Th- but, you know, there, there might be a way some year, some time that I can get up there in the summer. But 
I mean, is Esteban saying these are available in December? Are, are you bouncing off icebergs? Um, first off, let me just say this, okay? If you were to go to Alaska in November, the average temperatures range from 28 degrees Fahrenheit to 16 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. I mean, very cold. And eight hours of daylight per day. That's more than I thought. Yeah. Um, Thanksgiving in Juneau. Hey, man, let me tell you something. Juneau's gorgeous. I love, I loved Juneau. That was my favorite. Oh, I have. Went in uh, probably about, I don't know, let me think, 2009, maybe 2008, 2009. Terrific. Went on a cruise. Uh, Juneau. Um, Also, um, there's like like their own private little area. And Ketchikan. Oh, awesome. Ketchikan was great, too. So, yeah, we had, we had a really nice Ketchikan's, time. like, right on the coast, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, really nice. Really nice. Um, also, this came from our pal, the Mayor LC, Eddie Morelos. I am beyond excited to get my copy of Tim Haggerty's book, hashtag pre-ordered. Thank you, Eddie, for pre-ordering that. Again, you can pre-order on Amazon. And uh, I'm told when people do that, that really helps the book. That gives it some momentum. So, thank you, Eddie. How are we going to do the book signing? At Southwest University Park for this uh, for this terrific um, you know upcoming paperback that's going to be out. That uh, would be awesome. I would love to do that. Chihuahua's management has offered to help. We haven't pinned down the details on that, but something like that would be so much fun, and uh, I could definitely get you the details when that happens. Who uh, will be handling broadcasts with you this year? Well. Uh, Fans have heard Anthony Reifenberg the past couple of years yes. occasionally. Anthony has a, a new position with the Chihuahuas where he's overseeing the travel and the baseball operations. Uh, so he's still somebody that can be present as a backup. He really likes um, it here, doesn't he? He does, yeah. He's been here since 2020. Right, that's right. That's exactly. So Anthony could possibly be, be maybe pinch hitting for you a little yes. bit while you're uh, doing the autograph signings. That would be great. Exactly. And, of course, open invitation to you, Andrew or Adrian, if you ever want to stop by and join oh me for a few gosh. innings. We've done that. We've had some fun in the past. You told some stories from when you were a Diablo's Bat Boy. I remember that one night. That got some uh, reaction. That was fun. Hey, by the way, let me ask you this, okay, and uh, possibility. Could we set up a table on the concourse where you could autograph copies of the book while there's a monitor, or you're able to see out and call the game <laughs> from your table while you're signing at the same time. Could that be a possibility? And if you need help, I would be more than happy to join you, help call the game while you're signing, but then you could still be part of the broadcast while you're autographing copies of the book. Yes, I love this. Uh, we'd love to do that, and I do think it's technically possible because in 2021, when I broadcast my 2000th game, the Chihuahuas did this cool thing where I actually hosted the pregame show from the field using earbuds, mm-hmm. and I actually was on the air live while I threw the ceremonial first pitch. Ah, So we do kind of have a test already that this is possible. Good, um, good. Where, yeah, we could do it wireless. I would. Uh, we could do that. We could always set up a unit. Uh, we have a unit, which you could always, we could always take one down on the field while your stays where it belongs in the broadcast booth, but we have almost like a, a mobile unit that could then go and set up a broadcast, set up a table, have you autograph copies of the book, but still keep you involved in the broadcast during the signing, which I think would be terrific because, you know, fans would line up to, to, uh, to get a part of this, to get a copy of this book. 
Thank you. Yeah, and, and I appreciate everybody ordering in advance and uh, love the idea that you're pitching here. Um, this is mm. a great brainstorming live on the air. Thank you. Um, will there be leather-bound editions of Tales uh, from the <laughs> Dugout? Um, I know paperback is is the current uh, you know um, format, but will we see any kind of special um, leather-bound edition, limited edition copies? Well, I must say, a lot of people have asked me about this book. I've never gotten that question before now. Leather-bound? No, there's no plans for that. It's paperback, mm. some cool embossed... Uh, Text on the front and back, kind of a little bit above the cover. They did a nice job with that. But no, it's paperback for now. And this is the best way to get it. Some have asked about Kindle, but because there's so many illustrations, yeah, you have to have it's better for copy. paperback than, than digital. And you can't autograph a Kindle. You can autograph right. a hard copy. By the way, I'll tell you a quick story about Leatherbound. So when Ray Sanchez, who we lost, yes. uh, best, I think last year, did um, his, uh, his book called The Bare Facts, which was the Don Haskins uh, autobiography, there was, from the publisher, a limited edition leather-bound copy of the book. And in the leather-bound copy, it was autographed by every member of the 1966 team. Wow. Yeah. Very hard to find. Those books have been spotted, but there's probably less than 20 copies that exist today. That's what I'm saying. The ultra-limited edition leather-bound copy of Tales from the Dugout. Well, I mean, what a um, you mentioned Ray Sanchez. Thank you for the leather bound edition idea. I don't see that one happening. I like yeah, your uh, I like your live book signing idea better. I think that uh, you know what, and plus we want to make this affordable. You know, leather bound right. leather's expensive and that's tough. So I like the idea of the, of the price point that it is right now. And I think anywhere between sixteen ninety five and twenty bucks for a copy of this uh, for your life's work is is definitely worth it. Thank you. Yeah, it's only sixteen ninety five. Um, but I just wanted to say, you mentioned Ray Sanchez. What a nice man who was so kind to me uh, when he was living. I remember one time speaking to him at Southwest University Park, and he was telling me about interviewing Willie Mays mm -hmm. at Dudley Field. And that day, Fresno had a great prospect, Carlos Correa. And I thought, this man has covered Willie Mays and Carlos Correa. Think about that, that lifespan. The picture of of um, Ray and Willie is so cool it is. too. The They're dugout, both so the dugout and, shot at yeah. uh, Dudley Field, I think, circa nineteen fifty four, fifty five. So Willie Mays was like twenty four, twenty five years old. Ray was probably twenty six, twenty seven, a couple years older. Phenomenal, amazing. Yeah, I agree with you. Tim, I want to ask you your advice. There are a lot of local writers out here who want to get their book published eventually or work with a publishing company and uh, want to launch their career on that end. Your advice as an author, this is what, book number two for you, correct? Yes, my first book came out in 2012. It's about the craziest team names in minor league history, also done by Cider Mill Press. And so my path was a little bit different. Most people that write for a living, they'll put together a proposal send it to a publisher, and then when they get that contract, then they begin working on it. For me and my job, and my wife and I have a son, things are busy. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do something like this on one-year deadline. So I actually pretty much wrote the entire book and then pursued a book publishing contract. Uh, but my advice would be to remain positive. Um, for my first book, there was dozens of rejection letters. And then I got a publishing deal, and it sold thousands of copies. So uh, my advice would be to not be discouraged if somebody writes you a no thank you letter. By the way, Root for the Home Team is also available on Amazon. Is it possible that when we do the book signing, 
we could have both books. If people want to get the whole Haggerty collection, they could. Yes. Um, there are some... Let's see the best way to do that. Yes, I could contact okay. the publisher and make there that happen. And I think that um, I think that would, yeah. I think people would want the complete collection of Tim Haggerty. I do. Thank you. Yeah, like you said, that one's also available on Amazon. And by the way, uh, that book came out May eighth, twenty twelve. So that book came out um, what almost eleven years ago. That's pretty. Uh, it's pretty yes. remarkable. How many years were you working on that book? Uh, that one I started when I was in Mobile and started in two thousand six. So that one was a little faster, bit shorter, six years. Turnaround. Well, the next book be coming out in 2035. What's, uh, the, what's the plan for the third uh, companion of this book? Uh, no plans for another book for now. I'm just enjoying talking to people like you guys good. about uh, how good-looking this book is and trying to promote it. When we come back, we'll get Tim's thoughts on the 2023 20, uh, Chihuahuas. We, have, we've, we spent so much time with Hags on the book, we haven't even talked about this year's team. We'll do that, and we'll wrap things up with Tim right after Charlie won and this traffic update. 21 past the hour. So we continue here on Sports Talk with Tim Haggerty, voice of the El Paso Chihuahuas. You want to get into the show, 505-6009. You can tweet us at 600 ESPN El Paso. Thanks to UTEP Zay. Parkland, last we heard from Zay, has a 13-9 lead over Chapin at the Haskins Center. How about Zay calling it a physical, gritty battle? That's right. I mean, it seems like number 18 Chapin and Parkland just really going at it right now. Latest update from Zay is the Huskies are on an 8-0 run to take a four-point lead up now, 17-13. Huskies rallying back here in the second quarter. Let's see what happens before halftime. Hopefully we get a chance to talk to Zay soon enough as we continue with Tim Haggerty and preview the 2023 Chihuahuas, their 10th uh, anniversary team. We've got the A team coming in, by the way, on Friday at five o'clock. We've got Angela team. Yes, I, I hear them on your that. show. Yeah, um, I'm also excited about the return of Story Time with Hags. So am I. I think that. I mean, is there a chance that we could be getting additional tales from, or um, not additional, but tales from the dugout, but expanded versions of tales from the dugout? Could that be possible? Yeah, there's a thousand one stories in my new book, and uh, I see no problem with occasionally sprinkling in a little preview from the book and expand on it a little bit more. I like that idea. So you have some of these stories have more to it than what's in the book. You just kept it kind of, you know, for nowadays, think about the attention span of people. They don't want to read anything more than a paragraph. They, for the most part, like, you know, just keep going from one story to the next, and that's, that's the whole idea, right? That was my hope. It's a very visual book. There's a cool layout. There's a lot of illustrations, and I hope it's a book that you can just pick up flip through, read a few pages at a time, and then toss it on your coffee table. Tim, we've talked about the digital version, which you're saying, hey, buy the physical copy because it has the cartoons. What about an audio version down the line? Could we see that? I'd love to do that. I think HarperCollins' plan is to really try to make this book successful, and I think once a book then sells you know, thousands and thousands of copies, then they go to the audio version, from what I hear, but that would be really fun, and, and the good news is, uh, because of my day job, I have the, the technical knowledge to pull that off and supply the audio. Oh, that's good. I was going to ask you if you wanted to do the audio or, or let's say have like somebody else, like Cody Decker, do the audio for you. As <laughs> yeah. you. As you. Or Duke Keith. Or Duke, yeah, that's right. There's so many people that could do it. Duke Keith, uh, boy, he's got pipes. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe Rocky Gale, now that I find out he likes impersonating me. Hey, um, when you sign these books, will... Will we be able to, uh, like, like, is your signature legible? Is it the kind of signature that we'll be able to actually, like, read your your name and know it's you? Or are you one of those people that likes to scribble and we won't even be able to tell it's it's Tim Haggerty when it's all said and done? 
totally legible, and I have a story behind this. I have a reason behind this. Okay, good. I like this. So when I was the broadcaster in Mobile, Padres, then Padres pitcher Jake Peavy lived in Mobile and used to come and hang out at the stadium. And at that time, he was a Cy Young Award winner. He was a star. And he was at this event with Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer, excuse me. Arnold Palmer? I know it's... Palmer, yeah, the golfer. Yep. How did, uh, you know, Jim Nance say that name over the years without stumbling like I did? It's tough. And... They were at this uh, sports expo or something, and Palmer pulled Peavy aside and said, Hey, kid, I'm watching you sign autographs, and you're scribbling. And he's pointing his finger at him, and he said, Sign your name legibly, because someday some kid's going to pull a baseball out of a drawer when you're dead, and they're going to say, Who signed this? And you want them to know it was you for your legacy. Ever since I heard that, and the few times that people have asked me to sign things, I always write it clearly. Were you like before that? Were you a scribbler too, or did you still always write your name? Now you're just writing it extra clear. Well, I don't really have volumes of autograph stories, uh, but I guess uh, when people did ask, I was probably medium. But now I take time and write it clearly. Good. Uh, did PV change his signature yes, after that did. story? He did. Really? Based on Palmer? Yeah. That's so interesting. So there's actually like the pre-Palmer scribble autograph. And now the post, uh, post-Palmer legible autograph from Jake Peavy. Yeah, and I think about that when I see Chihuahua's wow. players signing, and so often they're scribbling, and mm-hmm. um, you know the story is secondhand, so I don't tell them. But I think it's a great lesson because when a kid at Southwest University Park gets autographs, years down the line, you want to be able to look up who this person is yep. that you got the autograph of. That's a great point. All right, let's talk about this year's team. Um, I'm looking at the the roster of non-roster invites. That's the first thing I look at whenever I check out a, a Padres team because I'm thinking of El Paso. And there are some really, really interesting names. Let's talk about the biggest interesting name. Cole Hamels, who is now 39 years old. He'll be 40 in December. And I don't know if I'm going to say Cole Hamels is ever going to be Cooperstown bound, but here's a guy that has 163 career wins, was among the best lefties in the game for a long period of time, especially with the Phillies, and he will find himself trying to make the Padres roster out of spring training. Yeah, he signed a minor league deal with San Diego. He's from San Diego, and despite a lot of wealth and a lot of success, he really wants to get back on a major league field. Um, Hamels reportedly had three surgeries in the last year, one on his shoulder, one on his knee, one on his foot, but he still is fighting to get back. And we've seen this with the Chihuahuas, that sometimes really established players are willing to come to El Paso and play part of a season to try and get back to the majors. Robinson Cano last year, uh, the list goes on with Jeff Francoeur and Edwin Jackson and James Lomi, uh, some of the biggest names we've had. And what helps, Steve, is that a lot of these guys will have opt-outs in their contracts where if another major league team wanted a Cole Hamels, mm-hmm. the Padres would have first right of refusal to either call him up or send him to that team. That happened last year when Robinson Cano was acquired by the Braves. Uh, the Padres chose not to call him up at that time. They traded him to Atlanta because he had a major league opportunity there. So uh, I love the idea of maybe Cole Hamels starting a, at least part of the season with the Chihuahuas. Me too. And when I look at uh, Cole Hamels over the years, I realize that this is a guy that's been one of the best uh, lefties in the game for a long period of time. He debuted in the big leagues in 2006. What was your uh, first year in minor league baseball? 2004. I remember him being a big prospect. and um, Was he the World Series MVP in the year the Phillies won in uh, 10? 
He was actually the um, NLCS, NLCS MVP. Right. But no, you know what? He was the uh, Philadelphia Phillies uh, World Series MVP in 2008. That's right. Okay. So there you go. World Series right, 2008, of course. Of and course, NLCS yeah. MVP. He did both. 10 was year. the Giants, of course. Uh, right. Yeah, 08. And then Phillies, of course, lost the next year mm-hmm. to the Yankees. But uh, yeah, what an established player. And could be a couple of those. Craig Stammen is also on a minor league deal. He is the longest tenured San Diego Padre. He's been in their bullpen a long time. Somebody also in his late 30s that is trying to stick in the majors. Uh, could he be somebody that we see come to the Chihuahuas to try to get back to the big leagues? Um, and somebody you and I were talking about in the commercial break, Julio Tehran, another non-roster invitee with a lot of Major League time with the Atlanta Braves. That's what I love about AAA baseball. You get these guys with big resumes, but they're on the same field with these up-and-coming prospects. It's quite a blend. Me too. Um, somebody else I'm excited about seeing because, uh, again, he was at one time a nice prospect is Anderson Espinoza, who also was kind of an interesting story because he went through a lot of arm injuries um, and then uh, last year pitched with the Cubs, but the Padres got him back. Exactly. And I'd love to see him with the Chihuahuas as well. He had multiple surgeries on that arm and got it to the major leagues with the Chicago Cubs and is in Padres Major League Spring Training as we speak. So He'd be a great story if he's able to make it to El Paso. And another pitcher that we've never seen in the past but remains in the organization, Efrain Contreras, mm. uh, likely to be at double-A to begin the year. And the reason I mention him, he was born in Juarez, Mexico. That's really cool. Uh, could have somebody from our region play for the Chihuahuas in the next year or two. Very nice. So there's some, some good names. And by the way, speaking of good names, um, if you follow baseball and you hear a name like David Dahl, He's also uh, an outfielder uh, that's trying to make a job, uh, get a job in San Diego. At one point, he was a very, he was a top prospect with the Colorado Rockies years ago. Yes, and had a great 2020 uh, COVID-shortened Major League season. He has a Major League All-Star game appearance on his resume. Last year was in the minor leagues with Nashville and Rochester, trying to get back to the big leagues. And right now, one of the Padres outfielders, Fernando Tatis Jr., will not be on the opening day roster because he has the remains of a performance-enhancing drug suspension. He's not eligible until April 20th. So one of the big questions in Padres spring training is who's going to be filling in for Tatis for a couple of weeks on the outfield. Uh, If it's not David Dahl, he could come to El Paso. Other people in the mix for that, recent Chihuahua Jose Azucar, recent Chihuahua Taylor Colway. So as far as the El Paso roster, the San Diego outfield situation is a close one to watch. So again, good ones to keep an eye on. All right, we'll wrap things up next. We'll also get an update uh, from SportsCenter and Adrian, but let's go to UTEP Zay. He is at the Haskins Center. We got a major showdown going on right now with Parkland and Chapin. Uh, Zay, give us the latest. Um, it's a fun one. It's 28-20 to 20 at halftime. Chapin leads and you know, I said a lot of times, but it's a really physical game. The refs are really letting both teams uh, play it out. Uh, Parkland led this one 13-9 after one. Chapin really came alive in the second quarter, didn't they? Yeah, they do what Chapin does best. They turn defense into offense. They forced a lot of turnovers, a lot of ball pressure. They really made Parkland uncomfortable at times. And, you know, um, a lot of Parkland's buckets really came in transition, they really couldn't get anything set up in, in the half-court offense, so it's been a really fun one. Who's leading the way for Chapin through the first half? Uh, Idalius Coleman and Bryson Goldsmith, they're, they're both out there getting buzzed. I mean, Coleman is really using his body down low. He's in a bit of foul trouble, though. You know, he's been called for a couple charges, so 
we'll have to watch out for that throughout this one. Zay, appreciate the update. Thanks again for calling in. We'll keep an eye on you on Twitter. Sounds good. UTEP Zay on Twitter. Follow him, folks. All right. Uh, more on the 2023 Chihuahuas roster with Tim Haggerty. But first, Adrian Broad is standing by with one last Sports Center update. Thank you very much. Tales from the dugout, folks. The latest efforts from Tim Haggerty, 1001 humorous, inspirational, and wild anecdotes for minor league baseball. It's going to be released March 28th, a month from today. And uh, Tim has been joining us uh, all show since he arrived uh, about uh, 20 after 5. And we're talking Padres. We're talking Chihuahuas. We're talking 10th anniversary roster. All right. So we mentioned uh, some of the players uh, in the outfield. We've also touched on the pitching staff. Who are some of the other names we should keep an eye on here as they get ready for the 23 season? Yeah, I think uh, the catching should be strong for the Chihuahuas. Michael Cantu will be back as a backup, I would expect. Uh, Brett Sullivan will be back. He's on the Padres' 40-man roster and had a great hitting season last year. As far as some new catchers, there is an excellent defensive catcher who was at AA last season, Chandler Siegel. Uh, and talking to Philip Wellman, the new manager for the Chihuahuas, during his visit to El Paso, Siegel's somebody that he mentioned that he's excited to work with. So I think the Padres should, uh, in the Chihuahuas' case, the Padres should be supplying some really strong players behind the plate for this year's team. Pedro Severino is a non-roster player also. Here's a guy that's got a lot of big league service time. Exactly, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how the Padres' major league catching situation unfolds. Austin Nola is the starter. Uh, right now, if you go to Padres.com, the recent Chihuahua, Luis Camposano, is listed as the primary backup. Of course, the National League has the DH now, so I think Camposano has a good chance to be on the Padres' major league roster where he can also do some DHing when he's not catching. And it'll be interesting to see if Severino makes the major league team and plays the role that Jorge Alfaro did last year, a backup catcher uh, who can DH a little bit as well. We've heard a lot about Jackson Merrill, the top prospect in the system right now at shortstop. Uh, Should we expect Jackson to debut in double-A this year? Is that what you're hearing? I think at best double-A, maybe even high-A. He was at Lake Elsinore last season, low-A ball, could go to high-A Fort Wayne, uh, possibly to San Antonio. But the Padres have had some infield prospects over the past couple of years that rose quickly. We saw C.J. Abrams last year as a 21-year-old playing for the Chihuahuas, which is a very young triple-A player, and he's expected to be the Washington Nationals' starting shortstop this year after being traded in the Juan Soto deal. Uh, And speaking of that, Mackenzie Gore, the recent Chihuahua, is uh, expected to be in their starting rotation. So some people might say that that would be a tough thing to be traded from the Padres to the Nationals because right now San Diego is such a great contender and the Nationals are likely to be a last-place team. But for guys like Abrams and Gore, suddenly they're getting regular major league time. So it's a great opportunity for them. They wouldn't have had it in San Diego. It's just exactly. Facts. So I agree with you. Um, Alfonso Rivas, veteran first baseman, 26-year-old in the Cubs system. Should we expect to see Alfonso Rivas patrolling first base this year for the Chihuahuas? Yes, I think it'll be him. And perhaps a combination of him and Rangel Ravello. Ravello has major league time with the St. Louis Cardinals and had some great AAA numbers with Oklahoma City a couple of years ago. He's from Cuba. Uh, so Rivas and Ravello, I think we'll see some strong hitting. Taylor Colway, mostly an outfielder, but plays some first base as well. And we've seen a lot of home runs over various first basemen the past couple of years, really dating back to the early years of the Chihuahuas with Cody Decker. First base has always been a powerful spot for the Chihuahuas. Last year, Adderlene Rodriguez, for example, uh, hit great. So it should be a lot of pop out of that position. Meanwhile, as far as some of the other infielders that uh, could find their way in El Paso, I saw Tim Lopes is uh, a non-roster invitee, Max Schrock, and uh, Jansen Witte, who's trying to make a comeback at the age of 33 years old. 
Exactly. We've seen Witty in the past with Tacoma play against the Chihuahuas. Uh, it'll be fun to meet him in person. Another strong infielder, I think, will be Connor Hollis. He won the AA Texas League Batting Championship last year for San Antonio. Played for the Chihuahuas a little bit. Uh, I'd expect him to be back in AAA. And there's also a couple of guys on the infield, like Matthew Batten, who I would expect to have a similar role to last year, where he's with the Chihuahuas, but on the Padres' 40-man roster, ready to go if there's an injury. He went up and made it to the majors last year. Uh, but as you described earlier, Xander Bogarts just adding to that crowded San Diego infield. I think it's unlikely Batten begins the season with the Padres. Meanwhile, as far as the rotation goes, if Jay Groom can't make the team out of spring training, then he will most likely be in the rotation. Uh, what Do you think for, uh, Brent Honeywell will stay as a starter, or will he probably work as a reliever? I think there's a chance that he'll be a AAA starter. Honeywell, a one-time tremendous prospect who has had some arm surgeries, uh, spent most of his time in the Rays organization, I think is someone we could see in El Paso in April. Um, that'll be fun for me next week. I'm going with a couple of Chihuahua's employees to Padres Spring Training for two days, and that's always a good time to interview people, speak to the coaches, get a feel for what names could be coming to El Paso for our preparations. Um, but speaking of the rotation, I'd expect Aaron Lasher to be in the Chihuahua's rotation, and he quietly had a great season last year, only allowed a couple of runs from mid-July until the end of the season. Uh, Jared Koenig came over from the A's organization. He was at AAA Las Vegas in the past. I think he could be somebody that's on the Chihuahuas pitching staff as well. Could you imagine, though, if we have Cole Hamels and also Julio Tehran both as starting pitchers for the Chihuahuas to begin the year? It's amazing. I mean, two guys add up how many major league appearances they've had. Uh, that would be unmatched in AAA. It really would be. So March 31st, it all kicks off, Hags, and at home. I mean, normally you're on the road in April to begin the season. How nice is it to be starting it off at home this year? Yeah, I love the Chihuahua's early season schedule. It's three games at home, then on the road for six to Sacramento, and then back for a six-game series against Albuquerque. And another storyline you and I didn't really mention here, but players who are suspended do have the chance to have a rehab assignment. And one of the Padres' biggest stars, Fernando Tatis Jr., is currently on suspension. I don't know what the plan would be there, but uh, the Chihuahuas do have a nice homestand leading into the days that he is eligible to come back. So it is a possibility that he plays for the Chihuahuas during a homestand. He has never played in El Paso. We should no. note that. Spent a lot of time in San Antonio, both as a double-A uh, player and then in the big leagues on his rehab last year before the uh, suspension began. So it would be nice so there, if we see that. There's a funny story about that if we have a minute. Of course we do. Fernando, it's Okay. Fernando Tatis Jr. has almost played for the Chihuahuas three times. 2018, he's at A, And the word was, remember that year the Chihuahuas had a great team, and the word was that Tatis was perhaps going to come up from A and play for the Chihuahuas in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. But then he slid into second base and injured his thumb at A, and it ended his season. Then in 2019, I had a Padres executive tell me, you guys are going to have a stacked team. You'll have Naylor in right field. You'll have Tatis at shortstop. And that was the plan until the very end of 2019 Padres spring training when Tatis just played so well, he had veteran players like Eric Cosmer and Ian Kinsler approach the general manager and say, we've got to have Tatis on this team. Hmm. So Tatis did not come to AAA that year. Then the third and final time last year, he is coming back from injury. He's at Double A San Antonio. This one was just a possibility. It was not definite, but the word was that potentially he might play for the Chihuahuas on rehab, and then he got suspended. So this guy keeps avoiding Triple A. Uh, maybe someday we'll see him. 
crazy stuff. Uh, Webster Rivas, I know, is good friends with Tatis, but he's no longer with the Padres organization, correct? That's right. Webster was a Chihuahua's catcher and a nice guy. Uh, don't know his status. All right. Well, listen, this has been a great discussion. I'm so happy for you about the book. Congratulations. Let's uh, work on that autograph signing at the ballpark. Uh, Adrian had great ideas with you doing autograph signings around the PCL that you should, whenever you go to a city to call a game, you should maybe hit either a local bookstore or a Barnes and Noble and see if you could also do a book signing in, in each of those PCL towns while you're there. Yeah, love that. Thank you, Adrian, and, and thank you so much for having me and talking about the book. Uh, I think people will enjoy it. Do you have any plans to do any signings, or at this point, no? At this point, no. Nothing is, is locked in, but I love your ballpark idea. Well, Adrian and I will be happy to represent you as your managers free of charge, and we will be more <laughs> than happy to generate uh, autograph signings for you, that's for sure. Awesome. Yeah, the publisher's advice was to steer people to Amazon, so that's what I've been doing, but... Uh, love the in-person interaction as well. What happens? Yes. I'm sorry, Steve. What happens if uh, th- this really blows up, uh, Tim? And you have people at opposing ballparks lining up outside your broadcast booth, waiting for signatures. That's true. That would uh, be an honor. Anybody that bought my book and wanted to talk about it, I'm happy to do it and happy to sign it. So, um, yeah, right after the post-game show. Be like Cal Ripken during his streak streak breaking season, the way he'd sit there and sign for hours and hours after games. Maybe that'll be me. You don't have a bobblehead yet, do you? No, I'm. I'm, when I'm is okay that gonna, with that. When is but. that going to happen? When is the Tim Haggerty bobblehead giveaway going to be taking place? So, if you look at the uh, announcer bobblehead world, mm-hmm. typically it is attached to something like some kind of milestone game, four thousandth game, or something. So. Um, Maybe in a couple of years we can talk about that. But when are you getting close to twenty five hundred? Um, this year, I've called around uh, twenty two hundred. Okay, so professional this year. games. So probably yeah. next, maybe next year or the year after. Is twenty? Uh, should we wait for three thousand? So, yeah. Is twenty five hundred really a milestone number, or are we, good, are we grabbing yeah, here? No, that's a good number. What I about mean. years in broadcasting? Something Ooh. like that. Yeah, your twentieth anniversary in broadcasting. The twentieth anniversary bobblehead next year. <laughs> Actually, okay, really, we got this. Actually, that would really be this year. This year is 20, because if you started in 04, that would make this your 20th season. I know, but then there's another factor of 2020. I didn't broadcast any Chihuahuas games in 20. Well, you know what? That's uh, we, we can't control the, the pandemic. We can't. I, pre- I, I love what you guys are doing, but let's, we let's want focus more on the Haggerty. book for this year. We want let's do more, the book this year. We want more Haggerty. <laughs> we do. We want it. So, hey, listen, we'll talk to you soon enough. Uh, thanks for the time, and thanks for being so generous uh, stopping in and spending so much time with us tonight. I enjoyed it. Thank you both. Tim Haggerty, nobody better. Voice of the uh, Chihuahuas as we continue. Final countdown, we'll wrap it up next.